Welcome to the Peaceful Power Podcast. I'm your host, Andrea Claussen, and today I have Melissa Buchan on with us, and she is going to chat all about menstrual cycles, fertility awareness, and um, we're going to kind of dive deep into her integrative health coach training. So welcome to the podcast today, Melissa. Hi, Andrea. So glad to be here. Looking forward to our conversation today. Yeah. So first I would love to, um, just hear a little bit about your background and, um, just telling all the listeners a little bit about yourself. Yeah. So I have been in this menstrual cycle charting world for a while. Um, originally trained as a fertility care practitioner and now practicing as a new fertility advisor. Um, it's been a 15 year journey and that journey started, you know, a lot of women who are in this space, we get here because, um, we've had direct impact in our own personal story. And for me, it was one of being a late bloomer. And once my period did come, it was not a good experience and really, really kind of set the groundwork of a not positive relationship, a a negative relationship. That's a strong word, but really a negative relationship with my body. Um, It was irregular when it, when my period did come, it was super painful fatigue. And so I was actually put on the pill at quite a young age, 16, 17 years old. And I was told that that was what I needed to do to be healthy and responsible. And if I ever wanted children, IVF would probably be my best option. I didn't even know what IVF was, not on my radar, kids at the age of 16, 17. So I took the pill and I just pushed forward. Fatigue was still something that consumed my day, trying to concentrate the period pain did help though. Like uh, for, for the most part, I felt better in that arena. And then I got to university and started studying biology and realized how the woman's beautiful body actually works. I fell in love with this whole idea of a balanced menstrual cycle and decided that the pill was not the solution for me. So I threw the pack away and began looking for answers, which led me to charting my cycle which led me to building a a care team that was able to properly diagnose and identify what the issue was for my irregular, painful cycles, fatigue. And I started the journey of healing. And this was such a transformational experience for me that within a year, I was in a training program, 13 month training program to become a fertility care practitioner. So over the years, I worked with hundreds and hundreds of women and couples teaching them how to chart their cycle for fertility awareness, for health evaluation, as well as infertility investigation. And then over the past few years, I've extended my training through um, integrative health coaching. And actually I'm so excited um, when this podcast airs, I'll be preparing to set for my national board certification for um, health and wellness coaching. So looking forward to that journey. And yeah, that's kind of where the journey that's gotten me here today. I love that. And yes, I, I mean, I think many of the guests that I talk to who are in this field, um, yeah, the personal experience plays a huge, huge factor into how they got into that. So thank you for sharing your journey with us. So one of the things that I want to, you know, kind of chat about if people are new to this conversation, um, I know we chatted a little bit about, you know, this before we hopped on and recorded, but, um, the apps. So a lot of people are using apps to chart their cycle. Um, can you tell us a little bit about, about the apps, the pros, the cons, um, and maybe other ways that people can start charting their cycles. Yes. And who knew 15 years ago, the apps would be such a big hit. FinTech app industry is really booming right now, but not all apps are created equal. So it's really important to be aware of the app you're using, 
how it's collecting your data and how it's using your data, because this is very personal, intimate data that we are plugging into an app. So a lot of the apps out there, they are actually period trackers. And this can be valuable. I mean, nowadays, anytime you go to a, a medical appointment, a doctor's appointment, what's the first thing that they ask you? When was the last cycle? Yeah, yep. exactly. <laughs> the first day of your last menstrual period. You go to the dentist and that they ask you, when is the first day of your last menstrual period? We need to know this. But there's so much more that we can know when we transition from tracking your period to charting our cycle. A lot of the apps out there, they use population algorithms and they are assuming that every woman experiences on average a 28 day cycle. Now for me in my program, the women that I work with, we call the 28 day cycle, the unicorn cycle. Mm -hmm. A lot of the women I work with, they have long erratic hormonally imbalanced cycles that we are working to then balance and regulate. So it's important that we recognize with an app that we don't want that app to be calculating our cycle based on a population. So interpretation according to your specific biomarkers, that's one thing, but interpreting it according to the average woman ovulates on cycle day 14 is just not reliable. Actually, only about 13% of women consistently ovulate on cycle day 14. Really important to know. So for apps, I do have a favorite app if I can share because I'm a co-developer of an app. Um, yes. This has led me to, um, you know, Long story short, about five years, maybe three, three to five years ago, time goes by so fast, our house flooded. We had five feet of water in our home and I had been a long-standing paper charter. I lost over 10 years of paper charts. Oh. Conception chart, my three conception charts, which if you're a charting woman, your conception charts, they're like a scrapbook. I mean, it's, a very, it's a very special and intimate thing that you and, and your, your husband can celebrate together. You and your partner can look at, okay, you know, this is when we, we conceived our child. It really is a special kind of ritual to, to bring into a relationship. We always celebrate the birthdays, but I think it's something special to celebrate conception day as well. Mm -hmm. So it was a little bit heartbroken that I lost those, those charts and I, and I was ready for an app. I'd been looking for apps, but none of them met the standard that I held to tracking the menstrual cycle and charting, and charting the cycle. So I had partnered together with a physician out of Dublin, Ireland, and a fantastic software developer out of Florida. And so we're a team of three, and we've created the new fertility app. So we use a medical management model approach, and we actually follow, um, you know, it's all the boring stuff, but we follow HIPAA and GDPR guidelines. We do not share your data. So it's secure, your data is safe, we're not sharing it. And we use elements from the most tried and true fertility awareness-based methods to pull this app together. So we take the proven elements from a variety of methods, bringing them all in one place so that women can chart for their health, for their family planning intentions, as well as for infertility evaluation. Mm, that sounds great. And can you say the name of your app again, if people yeah. are, didn't catch that? Absolutely. It's Chart Neo. C-H-A-R-T-N-E-O. You can go to chartneo.com and check it out. It's available in the app store as well as Google Play. Just some logistics on the app. There is a 45-day free trial. Then there is a low cost of about $10 a year to maintain the app. Again, we're a small organization. We're not getting rich off of this, but we um, do need to, you know, there, there are costs, a lot of costs in running an app. Um, and our, our support is really fantastic. So if you have any questions about it, just reach out to us. Mm, I love that. And that's very reasonable because I'm pretty sure the app that I had cost a lot more than $10 for the year. So I love that. I'm going to experiment and 
maybe switch over to a new one. Um, cool. you know, how do you like it? I would yeah. love to hear about that. And I, I love that too. Cause that's one of the things that I was concerned about, um, with some of the apps and I'm like, wow, this is a lot. It is personal information that you're sharing. And I don't know what they're doing with that data. And, um, you know, cause I have a paper pencil, um, way that I was tracking. And then I just started sharing with an app, but that was my concern was what are they doing with this information? So I love that you're making sure it's protected and not sharing it with third parties and whatnot. So, um, yes, it's a real concern. And I think it's something that we can easily kind of push to the side, but we, we can't. And that's, that's one of the primary principles in, in the app that we have secure data backup and that our, uh, that your data is private and secure. Yeah. So um, one of the things that I want to chat about too is, um, you know, you kind of talked about that 28 day unicorn cycle. So if people are listening, what does a healthy cycle look like? What are kind of those ranges and days and um, you know, what might you be looking for um, every month? Yeah. So when we're looking at a menstrual cycle, we need to understand that there are four phases of the menstrual cycle. We have the menstrual phase where you are bleeding, shedding, shedding the lining of the endometrium. And you have the follicular phase where an egg that was recruited the previous two, two cycles previous to that is finally going in its final journey of maturation and it's growing a cyst-like structure around it at the time of ovulation, which is the third phase that now mature egg is released from the ovary. And then you transition into the luteal phase, which is the final, um, phase of the cycle. There are different hormonal events taking place throughout each cycle. And that is directly reflected on our energy, our mood, what we're able to accomplish. I always um, tell the women that I work with, we are not little men. We are very different than men. We complement them beautifully. But if a man were to chart, he's fertile every single day. And for the most part, his hormones are pretty even Steven. There are fluctuations throughout the day, but he doesn't have this this surge of estrogen in the follicular phase and then a surge in progesterone in the luteal phase. So a, a well-balanced cycle is, you know, within, I mean, it looks different for every person. I do not go by the, the principle or theory that every woman should have a 28 day cycle, but we do need to have some regularity. So between 24 to 35 days is reasonable. Some women have longer days but you don't want to be going, you know, longer than 45 days consistently, because then what we have is estrogen dominance. We have an unhealthy building up of the endometrium. It's not counterbalanced by progesterone, and this could lead to, to health issues. So a well-balanced cycle, you have menstruation for three to five days. Typically you want bright red blood. Um, any type of, of spotting that has brown or black in it is is a, a red flag. You know, I'm not, I don't use a chart to diagnose, but we use it as a diagnostic tool, really as a barometer of your overall health. Then you go into the follicular phase and during the follicular phase, you'll have a time of dryness, which then progresses to experiencing a vulvar sensation of, of wetness or moistness. And then you may experience some cervical mucus. And I'm not gonna get into too much detail here and, and bore the listeners, but when I'm teaching women to chart their cycle, we're looking at estrogenic qualities of that mucus and how it shifts from day to day. They're also tracking their symptoms, how their energy is changing. And then um, there will be really a dramatic shift as they enter into the luteal phase, both in the biomarkers that they're charting, as well as in their energy and mood. And then I always like to work and customize an approach with my clients of let's find a secondary biomarker that might be basal body temping. It may be using some at home hormonal testing kits 
And so really we're trying to find the best approach for you. I truly believe that charting your cycle is more than a method. It truly is a life spot style for self-awareness and self-empowerment. So you have to find what can easily be integrated into your daily living. And it just becomes something that you do without a lot of thought. It's just part of your everyday habit. Mm, I like that. And that's something that I just started doing was my temperature every morning and Um, it is, it's, I mean, it does become habit. Like maybe it might be a little, you know, annoying for the first few days. And then all of a sudden you're like, okay, it's just part of the routine. And and do you find as you're now, you are in the process right now of building a new habit. So that takes daily commitment and discipline and forgiveness when you maybe forget a day or two. I'm interested. I don't know how far you are in this journey, but once you start collecting the data and you're able to use that data to, to reflect where you are in your cycle, where you are in your energy and your creativity, that intrinsic motivation kind of kicks in and you want to chart that information every day. Yes. Yes. I love it. Um, I'm three months into like taking the temperature and I've been paying attention to where I'm at in my cycle phase. Um, Mm -hmm. but then that temperature check, I think is just one more element to kind of see where I'm at, I guess. Yeah, it's really cool. And cool thing about that we were talking about chart, you know, just a little plug. So we actually use um, our algorithm for, for calculating temp shift is based on um, guidelines that are cited in medical literature. So you just have to enter it in and it will actually calculate every temp shift that you experience. And then you have to tap into your knowledge about your body and where you are to correlate the temp shift with your peak mucus day to really fine tune when your ovulatory event takes place. Yeah. And then one thing with the temperature, um, I think I had heard this uh, or read it. Um, so like days that I, if I had wine the night before that can affect that temperature the next morning, right? Yes, it can. And it's all again about self-awareness. So it depends on how much you had and how sensitive your body is to alcohol. So it's a great, a great practice to note when you're temping the days that you do have alcohol or you do indulge in something that's not part of your regular intake that you know you may have a sensitivity to and you can see then how that's reflected in your cycle the menstrual cycle is a great barometer of overall health it's not just about you know people who are using it to avoid pregnancy naturally or trying to get pregnant it's so much more than that it's really a journey to understanding your body I love that. Yeah. And I've noticed when, if I did have, you know, more glasses of wine than I would like, my temperature would be like so high, like an abnormal spike. And then it would drop back down, you know, as I didn't have any wine. So it is a good, a good tool. And I usually could tell, cause I would, I'd feel warmer in the night and all of the things. So, um, with that, you know, with, um, having that be part of our, as you just said, not just for fertility and trying to get pregnant, um, what about birth control? Like how can you use this cycle for maybe getting off the pill? Yeah, we work with a lot, a lot of women who um, who are transitioning off the pill for a variety of reasons. It, that can be a journey in and of itself because transi- transitioning off of hormonal birth control into understanding your cycle, there's a lot going on physiologically with your body. Your ovaries have been quieted, kind of shut down, and they need to learn to communicate with your pituitary gland again. So this can take an upwards of 90 days. So a lot of patience um, and, and just taking it day by day. Those first couple of cycles, they, some women bounce back. I mean, they bounce back, not an issue, but if there's any underlying health condition, if you are on hormonal birth control to suppress any type of health condition, whether that be PMS or mood swings or acne, 
or just irregular cycles, those things are going to return when you, when you stop taking the pill. It can be a difficult time. So it's really about first and foremost, having the proper mindset and really having a good mindfulness practice. How you think about your cycle is going to be the driving force to get you through that transition. And then I always encourage women to work closely with the fertility awareness coach as they're transitioning off the pill, especially if they're wanting to use it for um, avoiding a pregnancy for natural birth control. It's a very nuanced practice. And so you want to make sure that first and foremost, we're understanding what your specific cycle pattern looks like. And then we can go from there. There are basic guidelines that you apply to the cycle, but then we will customize them to your intention, um, to your, to how, you know, how strongly you feel about that. And then what your overall goal is. So you may be adding a couple of different biomarkers. It, it's, yeah, it's very customized. So it's hard to get into the details of that without, you know, being able to talk to a specific case, but transitioning off the pill, we, we, we work with a lot of women who are making that transition. And I think it's really beneficial to have that one-on-one -on -one support of somebody walking you through, helping you interpret your chart. Yeah. And I, I will say, cause when I got off mine, cause I think, oh uh, gosh, I got off mine probably five years ago now. And, um, I think we hear the rumors like, oh yeah, it will take like a year before you get pregnant. We'll say <laughs> it did not for myself. Like we weren't necessarily trying for my, my son. And I was like, okay, that was like three months and did not take very long. So definitely if you are trying to avoid, you can be pregnant. <laughs> it's so important, you know, because again, and we talked a little bit about this before we started recording the women that I work with, um, the majority of them are struggling with infertility or with hormonal issues or health issues. And so um, getting pregnant is not in, something that easily comes to them, but you're so right. Some women can stop the pill and they get pregnant the next cycle. I really, um, just kind of going to put a public service announcement out there, really, um, encourage women to wait at least three cycles transitioning off the pill. Follicular recruitment is a 100, 120 day process. Again, I don't want to get too, too into the nitty gritty of the biology here. Um, but preconception health is so very important. So if you can put time and energy into flushing out the synthetic hormones that were in your body, letting your body balance its own, um, you know, get back into its own homeostasis and really focus on the egg that is going to be ovulated in about 100 to 125 days. So there's a lot of, of self-care practices that you can work on during that time. But um, for somebody who's coming off the pill to achieve a pregnancy, it's really important that they um, give their body a three month transition period. Yes, you're speaking my language. That's exactly what uh, we preach in Ayurveda as well, the three to six months window to kind of prep your body for pregnancy. I've heard um, it called the trimester and that is just the perfect term for it. Oh, I love that. Um, so when we talk about that, if someone's listening, they're like, oh, I didn't, I didn't realize that that was, that was something I should be aware of, you know, are there any, like just maybe small habit changes they can make, um, to help maybe increase their fertility? There are. And you know, when I say, so I, th this whole approach, charting your cycle, um, preparing lifestyle, I would say it's not rocket science, but it can feel like you're summiting a really big rock. <laughs> like, so in, so when I tell people this, they're like, oh, that's easy. I can do that. But when we get into the daily practice, it's a lot of hard work. And so I'm, I'll share some things and they seem easy on the surface, but when you start to really evaluate what your current lifestyle looks like and the changes that can be made, a lot of women will come up to overwhelm. So first I just want to 
encourage women not to be overwhelmed, pick one thing and do that one thing well. And once you've got a good grasp on that, move on to the next thing. But we start with the basics. How is your sleep? Because it all falls, if you're not sleeping well, everything else just kind of goes to the wayside. It's like you're running on the hamster wheel. You can be eating the right things, moving your body the right way, taking the right supplements. But if you're not sleeping well, your body's just always in rebound mode. So it's first um, evaluating how are you sleeping? What is your sleep hygiene like? Um, and then next, moving into stress management. How, how is, what is the current stress situation in your life? How does your body respond to stress? How are your relationships? How's your relationship with your body? And then transitioning into nutrition. Are you eating to nourish your body? Are there any um, you know, nutrient deficiencies for a whole host of reasons? Um, and body movement. And I call it body movement. And I think you come from an Ayurvedic background. So I, we probably agree on this um, very much. I don't like to call it exercise because I think, especially in, in the Western world, when we say exercise to women, automatically we think of a HIIT workout or maybe a CrossFit exercise or running a marathon, but that can be very exhaustive to a body. And when we're putting that kind of stress on our body, we only have so much energy that goes into our body. And when we are, are working out to a point of exhaustion, our body has to recover from that exhaustion and it's gonna pull energy away from reproduction. And so we talk about healing body movement, not body movement that throws us into that state of exhaustion. Yes, yeah, and I, I'm also a personal trainer and that's what I work on with clients is working out with their cycle and teaching people to kind of unwind those patterns that, you know, I've had many people are like, I keep going to these HIIT workouts, you know, every, you know, Monday, Wednesday, Friday, 6am and they're just leaving depleted. And I'm like, it's because we're not the same the whole month. Like really there's only yeah. the ovulation phase that you really can handle those. And that's if you're getting again, good sleep. And so, it's been so, good. Opening. so good. I just have a huge smile on my face. It's so, <laughs> yes, yes. Yeah. And it's a lot of times it's eye-opening for people to be like, oh, wow. I, I thought, you know, cause we're programmed in the exercise world, like more is better, must do harder, you know, more reps. And really sometimes we just need a nice restorative yoga practice. And this is so important and it's just, and I don't know, I'm sure we could get like a whole nother podcast on, on the why behind this is how kind of the fitness world has structured itself, but it really is counterintuitive to how a woman's body is made. And I think it also sets a woman up for feeling like she's a failure when she can't get through that workout in the late luteal phase. That doesn't mean she's a failure. That doesn't mean something's wrong with her body. It means her body's saying, please listen to me. Please care for me in the way that I want to be cared for. Yes. Yeah. And I've sent people home from my 6am hit class that I used to teach. And I was like, nope, you just need to go home and rest. <laughs> and they appreciated it. They're like, I mean, because sometimes they don't give themselves the permission, but someone else saying, you know what, this is actually what your body's saying. They're like, and I'm, I mean, I'm, re I'm, I've recovered from that as well. I can look back, gosh, 10 years ago where I was up every day, you know, at the gym at 5am and more often than not coming home exhausted by 3am when it was time to really focus on, on kids and family. I couldn't, I couldn't even think. And looking back, I just get exhausted thinking back to those times where I thought that I was doing what was best for my body. And I was again, just kind of running on a hamster wheel, getting nowhere. Yeah. So along kind of those lines, um, one of the things that, um, you know, I kind of want to chat about is infertility and, you know, how does someone know, like, when is it time to maybe seek outside professional help? Um, and maybe what are some things that um, 
people should be kind of aware of if they're, you know, trying to get pregnant and they're struggling? Oh, so much to uncover here. Um, so mainstream medicine says, you know, six to 12 cycles of random unprotected intercourse without a pregnancy, then you could be considered for an infertility workup. Um, in the fertility awareness and restorative reproductive medicine arena, we say, you know, three to six fertility focused cycles that do not result in a pregnancy. It's time to start doing a, a workup. What I, I work with a lot of women who have gone through failed IUI and IVF. And what I see time and time again is that they're not able to achieve a pregnancy. They go to their GP or their OB-GYN. They do a workup, maybe some blood work. Everything is in within normal, healthy range. They say, I don't know, it's unexplained infertility. Here is a card to the local IVF clinic. And I, my heart breaks, my heart breaks. The, a well-charted menstrual cycle is a canary in a coal mine. <laughs> if we can plot it out, we are able to pick out parameters, red flags. We're able to actually cycle target the um, hormone analysis. So many times a doctor is, you know, pulling a, a lab on cycle day 21. Why a cycle day 21 lab? Well, that's assuming again, that every woman ovulates on cycle day 14. And this is just a very basic kind of first layer principle of a, a restorative approach is we want to know what your hormones are like seven days after you ovulate, not on cycle day 21. So this really pinpoints what we're looking at. But there are also a lot of other um, issues that could be addressed as well. Again, we don't diagnose with a chart, but we use it as a diagnostic tool. So we're looking at bleeding pattern for maybe um, issues such as okay, we see a red flag, we need to investigate for endometriitis or endometriosis. We need to look if maybe there is a, an ovulatory defect. It's not enough if you ovulate. If you're a normal cycling woman having a period around every month, we can assume that you're ovulating, but we know nothing about the quality of the ovulation. So first and foremost, we need to understand not just if you're ovulating, but what's the quality of the ovulation? And how are you as the host? Like the mother is the host for the new the new life and how are you doing? And so it's not just enough to, are you able to you know, conceive, but then can implantation successfully occur so that you can carry the pregnancy full term? So there's a lot to uncover there. Again, um, for, for my approach, you know, I'm coaching women into um, health and wellness. So we do a lot of um, integrative health coaching, but I also work with my clients to help them build a web of support so that if they do need medical intervention, they are seeking a doctor who has training and a restorative approach. So that they're not just going to push them off to IVF. They're going to say, let's try to get as close to the root cause as we can of why you're not able to achieve a pregnancy. Let's create a customized plan to work through the healing practice process so that then you can get to the phase where you have a normal, healthy balance cycle and you can enjoy the process of getting pregnant, of trying to achieve a pregnancy. Um, and, and this is kind of unwinding all that we've kind of balled up really tight in, in the world of infertility where to just go to IVF. It's a very intense, very expensive, very emotional process. And then, um, you know, it takes all of the intimacy out of, of, achieving a pregnancy so that couples are no longer able to connect. And even if, you know, maybe before IU, IVF, they're going to IUI, intercourse becomes a chore. It becomes a point of almost tension in the relationship. So there's a lot to unwind there about the mindset 
around around it. So, um, so in the approach that that I work with physicians um, who take a restorative approach, it's really a three phase process. Number one, it's that investigative phase. So we're charting the cycle. We're using that as the diagnostic tool, picking out red flags outside of normal healthy parameters. Then they are working with their clinician to investigate, figure out what's going on, develop a treatment plan, implementing that, and then enjoying a restored, healthy, balanced system. Yeah, that sounds, um, I mean, just so much more restorative <laughs> as it's called. I mean, and I always tell them that you, you are on a journey. We never know what the outcome is, but I do promise that you will learn something new about your body and it will be a journey to self-acceptance. So that at the end, if you aren't able to achieve a pregnancy, you will at least have answers as to why. And I think that's really important for women so that they can um, have that self-acceptance um, of, of how their body is. It's still a beautiful body. Um, it's just not working in the way that they want it to. And then what about supplements? I actually had a client recently who, I mean, she sent me the list of supplements that she was on and she stopped taking them because she had a list of like 10 to 15 supplements every day. She was supposed to take multiple times throughout the day. Mm -hmm. Um, and it just became too much for her and she didn't really know what any of them were actually doing. So do you recommend a ton of supplements or, you know, does that fit into this plan? It does fit into this plan. I have a few that I, occasionally recommend. Um, the doctors that I work with often recommend a good amount of supplements. This is something I'm really learning and exploring now through uh, functional nutrition. So hopefully as this airs, I will be much more well-suited to talk about it. Supplements do have their place, but you're right. It can be overwhelming, especially if you don't know why, or if it's just kind of blindly thrown at you and it, it hasn't been determined that you actually need, need you know, X, Y, or Z supplement. So we can definitely over supplement um, at the expense of really focusing on a good, nutritiously dense diet. So first and foremost, we want to make sure that we're getting the food um, that we need through, I'm sorry, the, the, the nutrients that we need through food, through good whole foods. Um, but supplements do have a, a place. So the most common supplements, I will say, I'll just, you know, kind of just to give an idea, are um, actually bioidentical progesterone that's supplemented in the luteal phase if there's a luteal deficiency, or if we have suspect that there is suboptimal ovulation. And really the theory behind this is that it causes a biofeedback loop. Your body uh, is able to, to get to a level of good progesterone levels, good natural progesterone levels. This helps to alleviate, alleviate PMS, um, and other mood disorders related to the period. But then it's it's kind of circling back into the pituitary gland, you know, then talking back to the ovary so that hopefully a few cycles from the start of progesterone, you'll start having a healthier ovulation. So some women definitely need um, bioidentical cycle targeted progesterone supplementation. Um, if there is an ovulatory disorder, there are some supplements that you can take that I've seen real benefit from. Um, but again, you don't, if, if there's not an issue, um, with ovulation, then you don't need to be taking them. So again, I'm being very vague here because I, I really don't like to kind of blindly give supplement recommendations unless we see that it is absolutely necessary for your cycle yeah, and that's your overall health. Uh, that's kind of Ayurvedic's take on it as well. Cause that's what I told her. I was like, we often we do food first and then we supplement after that. Um, and hers, it was just supplement and no, no addressing the food. Um, mm -hmm. 
So that's where I was like, oh, I wonder another tip. And I, this. You know, disclaimer the, the I know a lot of the doctors that, that I are absolutely fantastic. They do a lot of supplementing. Um, you know, they're doing the kind of basic blood count and they're seeing that there are a lot of deficiencies. Yeah. And, and so they're doing what they do best is recommend, okay, we've got to get these levels up where I want to talk to the client. Okay. Well, we've seen that there are these deficiencies. What can you eat and put into your diet that will help bring these levels up? Yes. Um, one kind of final area that you just touched on, um, I think a couple questions ago was if someone's listening, um, and they have endometriosis, what kind of, um, I guess, fertility awareness should they be incorporating, um, or any ways to help for their painful periods? Yeah, we'll start charting first and foremost. And endometriosis is one of those enigmas. Everything about it is very mysterious. We don't even actually know um, what biological pathways cause endometriosis. There are a couple of, of theories out there, but not one that's absolutely conclusive of, yes, this is what causes endometriosis. And as it presents itself in a chart, no two endometriosis charts look the same. Like you show me a PCOS chart and I can, I, I don't, I'm not a doctor, I don't diagnose, but I, I can tell you that's a, that's a polycystic ovary chart, you know, easy. Um, a thyroid issues, there's pretty common pattern there too, but with endometriosis, it can be screaming this is what it is, or it can be completely silent mm -hmm. where infertility is actually the only symptom. Um, so with endometriosis, you know, the gold standard, as far as a medical application is excision surgery. However, it can definitely be managed with lifestyle. It's really understanding what are the triggers in your body? What is causing chronic inflammation and stress in your body? So we have to dig deep, look for for those and then create a customized plan to help you eliminate the things that are harmful and increase or you know, kind of coach up the things that are, are healing to your body. I think that with endometriosis charting is so beneficial because you will see the progress. If you have a perfect healthy cycle on paper, if you learn to chart the biomarkers, we can usually pick up a couple of parameters that are that are out of sorts. And as you begin that healing journey, journey, you will see that balance out. But yeah, endometriosis, it's one where I'm always fascinated by these charts because you know they look you you're having a period every 28 days, you have a mucus buildup, your period looks okay. But if we really dig deep, well, you know what? The biomarker of cervical mucus, it's really not as um, healthy as it should be. Or maybe there is a little spotting pattern that really is a subtle red flag that we can address. Well, that's good to hear because I don't know if we've talked a ton about endometriosis on here. So just people who are listening can have some resources. Um, and it, it's just so interesting because, you know, I work with the ones endometriosis where they just want to get pregnant and they can't. And they've discovered they have endometriosis and it's completely blindsiding them. They had no idea. And other women who they're struggling day by day. It, it was really consuming them with pain and painful periods and, you know, foggy thinking. And, and so it's just, it, it, it represents, presents itself differently in every single woman. And if someone, um, kind of along those lines, what, so I've had a few clients who, you know, were easily pregnant with their first child, but then are struggling with conceiving their second. And, um, would there be anything that they should be looking out for, um, or, could they have endometriosis or something that maybe was there for the first child, but for whatever reason, didn't interfere with um, fertility then? 
Yeah, secondary infertility is, is interesting. And I, I can't say one way or the other what the cause is, of course, you know, without knowing the specific history. But we really want to look at stress, you know, first child versus second child. Well, you're now caring for a little being, keeping them up, uh, you know, keeping them alive. Um, you've been sleep deprived at least for, you know, the, the first at least probably three to six months of that child's life. So depending on, you know, how far removed you are from childbirth. And, and rearing a newborn, we need to look at how your body's recovered from that stress. Because again, we only have so much energy in our body. And if our cortisol levels are elevated, our body is working to bring those down at the expense of our reproduction. Because all of the same hormones that go into building our sex hormones also go into managing the stress response in the body. So it's like we have um, you know a, a bucket of building blocks and they either go to one, area or the other, but we can't make more blocks. So first and foremost with secondary infertility, and this is just from my, my experience in working with women is how are you managing the stressors in your life or what hidden stressors do you have in your body that need to be addressed? You were able to get pregnant the first time. So we know that you're able to, to conceive and, and carry a child full term. What's the hang up now? So first and foremost, I would look at, at stress, both, you know, sleep, lifestyle, all, well, really all of it. And what about age? Would that play a factor in that as well? Yes, definitely. Age plays a factor in fertility. Age or fertility greatly diminishes as we age, our ovaries are, are aging. Um, at the age of 40, fertility, and I don't have the stats in front of me, um, but it greatly reduces. And, and same with this, the efficacy of of IVF. Actually, the chances of getting pregnant through a restorative approach versus IVF as you age, a restorative approach has a higher success rate than IVF, the older a woman is. Yeah. And that's where I thought I, for whatever reason, I've, I've seen some people like, oh, it doesn't matter the age, you know, as of rec as of recent on social media that I'd seen, I was like, oh gosh, I, I think, you know, don't our egg count. believe what you read on social media. <laughs> I know. And I was like, I don't, that's not my knowledge. That's not what I've learned, but <laughs> Yeah, the, the, yeah, it, it just, um, it starts, fertility starts to slow down. Now, not saying that you can't get pregnant um, in your, in your forties. It's just, it is, it's harder to come by. I'd say by 35, by age 35, um, things start slowing down a little bit. I'm saying this a little bit anecdotally from the charts that I see and the physicians that I work with. Um, I work with a physician, one in particular, who his, his, the majority of his patient base are women um, age 40 and over achieving a pregnancy. And he does have success, great success um, with helping women achieve a pregnancy, but there's a medical approach that has to be tied to that. Yeah. Well, thank you so much, um, Melissa, for sharing all your wisdom. And if people are listening, I know you have a program that's coming up. Can you share a little bit about your program that's coming up? Absolutely. So um, if you're interested in learning more, visit melissabucken.com. And I invite you to schedule a discovery call. We actually have three coaches in our program. So you can schedule a call with any one of us and we'll chat with you. But in February, we have a fun chart your cycle challenge challenge. It's a 14 day challenge where we will walk you through how to use the chart Neo app and get you set up with all the basics so that you can start living a charting lifestyle. So be on the lookout for that. If registration is not already up for it, it will be up um, within the next week or so. Perfect. 
Well, I just have one final question for you. I like to ask this to all the guests. Um, when I usually throw out a weekly challenge to all the listeners. And when I have a guest on, I have you throw out a challenge to everyone. So what would you like that challenge to be this week? Oh, my challenge for women. That's a good question. <laughs> challenge women to really work toward the journey of loving and accepting their body and really building a positive relationship with their menstrual cycle. I love it. That's a great one. Always can work on that. Thank you. It's been such a pleasure talking to you, Andrea. Thank you for having me on today. Yes. Thank you, Melissa. And everyone go out there and spread your peaceful power.